Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. Um, if, you've, if you've not been at Ramp Church for the past few weeks, we're in the middle of a chapter, uh, which is a series of teachings on the Great Commission. And um, has anybody been enjoying this, this chapter? Anybody? Two people been enjoying the chapter. Great, okay. Well, I'm being encouraged then at least. Uh, we've talked about many different subjects. Last week we had Chrissy Perillo with us. Wasn't she amazing? Yes. Yeah, 39 years she's been serving in the Philippines, has a children's home, a school, uh, leads six churches there. God's just doing amazing things through her. And anytime I hear somebody that's, that has been serving um, on mission, dedicating their life, for four plus decades, I listen. Because I know whatever they say, there's a lot they chose not to say. So the things they chose to say are what I probably need to hear. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back. Um, it's all available online on, on really your favorite podcast platform, whatever that could be. But also YouTube.com uh, slash Ramp Church MCR. And it's a great place to stay up to date. But I'm supposed to be speaking this week on how the church, the early church, unified in gatherings and small groups. Um, but I'm disobeying the rules. I'm not sticking to the chapter because I wanted to change the topic. The, the, the focus of this chapter, we're looking at how did Jesus' earliest followers respond to the Great Commission? Everybody know what the Great Commission is? Two people know what the Great Commission is as well. The same two people who have been listening to the series. See, guys, to stay up to, stay up to date, you got to stay with the, with the series. So Jesus, before, before his time on earth ended, he gave now what's, what's come to be known as the Great Commission. And, and it was essentially a, a, a challenge. It was a commission to his earliest followers. I want to read it to you. Uh, there's, there's two versions, Matthew 28 and Mark 16. I'm going to read Matthew 28 to you, verses 18 through 20. This is what it says. Jesus came and said to them, his, his followers, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here's the commission part. You go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, come on! It's like where the theme music kicks in, you know, like... Dun, dun, dun. Um, there's, there's really so much in that that we could, we could spend years unpacking, but we're trying, to, we're trying to, like, take a few weeks here to explore... What could Jesus have meant? By some of those are quite plain to understand. Some of that's kind of obscure. So we're trying to take our time in unpacking what that means. But the angle that we're approaching it in this chapter is this. What did the people who were standing there, when they actually heard that out of Jesus' mouth, how did they respond? So not just what do I think this means, but the person who's literally standing there, you know, on the grass or dirt and looking at Jesus in the flesh... And this is what he says, before I leave, here's your, 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 your mission. Here are your instructions. How did they respond to that? We can get a pretty good idea on how to interpret it based on their response. The good news is, 
That, that's not really a mystery because we have a whole book. It's called uh, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And in your, in your Bible, it's toward the end, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And it's the story of the first 30 years of the way Jesus' followers responded to that command. What did they do about all of those instructions that he gave? Well, we have 30 years of history in, in, in what they did in response to that. So we're going to look at um, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do almost a part two of the message I did two weeks ago. And who was here two weeks ago? I just want to see who's kind of, okay, many of you were here two weeks ago where I spoke about what does it mean to take the Great Commission into our everyday life? Because although I think we think of Christianity, most of us, as happening 11 to 12.45 on a Sunday morning, there's actually more to our faith than that. And 99% of our lives are spent outside this building. It's a good thing, because I would get on your nerves after a while. 99% of our lives are, are, are spent out of this building, then is my faith irrelevant to the rest of my life? What, what, what am I meant to do with the, with the Bible? What am I meant to do with the teachings of Jesus do I have this spiritual part of my life and everything else? Well, good luck. Hope you get on well. And I believe there's more to faith than that. And so I was so, I think, intrigued by that topic. I wanted to do kind of a part two to that. And that's, that's what today is about. And we're really going to focus on a bit of purpose, purpose. But this is my title for today's message, if you like to put titles in your notes. Uh, my title is this, Six Launchpads to, to Join God's Mission. Six Launchpads. It, so there is, there's going to be some practical elements, some philosophical elements, some theoretical elements. It's kind of a blend today. But wherever you're at in your faith journey, I think in one of these six points, you're going to find a place to kind of launch off of. What do I mean by launch? How do, I, how do I take my faith and do something with it in my everyday life? That's the launchpad. How do I take my faith and do something with it in my everyday life? So maybe, maybe you're new to faith and you've just started your Jesus-following journey. Well, maybe it's the first launch pad then. Maybe you're a bit further along. Well, maybe you find yourself on the second or third launch pad. Or maybe you're going, um, I, I don't, I'm not even into the faith thing. Like somebody drugged me here and they paid me to be here and they said they'd pay for my lunch afterward or something like that. Well, maybe that's you. Well, then you can just kind of observe and see what does it look like to see faith kind of from the outside. There's space here for you to do that and get a, get a glimpse of what it looks like from the inside. And I, I believe um, that there's something everybody can leave with today. Amen? So in many ways, when we're talking about joining God's mission, we're talking about purpose. Say purpose. Uh, that's, that's a pretty common pursuit is people look for meaning. They're looking for purpose in life. They're, they're, they're trying to connect the dots between an ache that I, I perhaps have on the inside and what can seemingly be mundane day to day. But they're also trying to find purpose because we all experience seasons that are far from mundane. They're maybe filled with extreme joy. Seasons where maybe fulfilled like dreams 
Um, maybe there's a relationship you've been seeking that's happened. Maybe you've wanted children. You have a child. Maybe there's a job you've been pursuing for years and years. It happened. There's, there's seasons of extreme joy, and we don't really know where that fits in the story of our lives, right? And so is this just a momentary thing that I experience, and then tomorrow it's back to the Monday? How, is there purpose in it? But also the opposite is true. There are seasons of, of really intense suffering. Uh, in many ways, 2020 and 2021, we, we went through seasons like that globally, like as a human family. We entered into a season of suffering. And there's not a whole lot of answers in seasons of suffering. Do you know the most Googled questions for the first time in Google's history during the pandemic started with the word, why? Because people are searching for purpose beneath the pain. They're searching for some sort of a why behind the suffering. And it's interesting, when you look at the options, when we go to the, the marketplace of ideas, and we look through what are our options for trying to understand this, um, and maybe we pull most contemporary philosophies, most contemporary philosophies revolve around finding out who I really am. It's a self-actualization journey, a self-realization journey. It's captured in, in, in many ways. The, the philosopher Charles Taylor kind of summates this in things like, you need to live your life your way. There's a certain, Charles Taylor says, there's a certain way to, to live my life that is my way. And if anything captures, I think, the spirit of our day, it is that, right? We see it everywhere. It comes through songs, Disney movies, adverts. I mean, every, it's, it's everywhere. It is shouting, the greatest good is to discover who you are, pursue that, live for that, and anything that would defy that becomes your enemy. It, almost the greatest cultural sin today is saying no to me. Like, we, we actually want to legalize every version of saying yes to me that is possible. That's how far we take that idea. So for us, the philosophy of me-centered living is the primary philosophy we pull off the shelf in the marketplace of ideas. And although there are some small merits we can find from that, I think self-awareness is a good thing. If you've ever been around people who are radically unself-aware, you know what I'm talking about. When you don't realize the way you are impacting other people, you need a bit of self-realization, right? You need a bit of awareness on what's going on in your own life. But it, it, it falls short when it comes to empowering us to relate to others. Because sometimes the way I want to live doesn't really work with the way other people want me to live around them or the way they want to live. So it doesn't, really, it doesn't help me with finding meaning in relationships. Well, that's a problem because last time I checked, uh, we live in a world of relationships, right? It also doesn't really equip me to deal with suffering because I can't find answers or purpose for suffering on the inside. Suffering is not something I chose. It's something that's imposed upon me. And then it doesn't help me understand, well, what happens when I'm actually the cause of the suffering? What then? Is that something I want to realize about myself? So it's, it's, it's perhaps not as robust a philosophy to approach life 
as the label says on the front. So maybe we'll put that one back up on the shelf. But you know what? I, I'm not just going to pick on secular philosophies. The church hasn't been that great either. So religious philosophies haven't, haven't always been there. Because in many ways, they've reacted to that, those kinds of ideas. Um, actually, historically, that idea is a reaction to the church, but, but chronologically. But anyway, they react to these humanistic kind of self-centered ideas. And the, the, the church often says, in many ways, the opposite. If it's you, you need to reject it. Anything that looks seemingly joyful or pleasurable or happy, it's probably sinful. So the answer that the church gives us often is you are so the problem that there's no possible way that by you finding anything true or good about yourself or others can lead you to any sort of answer. So in the church, we haven't always helped the situation either. But the, the, the problem with that idea, with that very religious idea of, well, if it's me, it must not be God. If it's me, it must not be holy. That kind of thing, maybe it does empower us to a sense of discipline or self-control or pursuing higher virtues. There may be some, some merit in that. But it doesn't empower us on how to engage with art or beauty or creativity or joy or pleasure, or fun, all of these things that in life are part of, of, of what we experience when we walk around. But, but, you know, the truth is the biblical philosophy of true Christianity is much more robust than either the secular philosophy or the religious philosophy. And that's one of the things we're going to dive into today. We're going to look, what is the Bible, how does the Bible then empower us to walk into life, into purpose. And we're going to do that by looking at these six launch pads to mission. Here's the six launch pads if you um, want to write these in your notes. Expand, dream, seek, risk, reflect, repeat. Hey, that kind of rhymes. Expand, dream, seek, risk, reflect, repeat. Those are the six launch pads. We're going to dive into that today. And the first launch pad is this, expand. Expand. See, we're looking at what does it look like to dive, to join in God's mission and what he's up to in the earth. You see, God has come, he came with Jesus, not just to convert people to a religion, but to bring his people into his kingdom life not just to invite them to church meetings. God's kingdom involves every sphere of society, natural, spiritual, and everything in between. Secular, sacred, and everything in between. Ancient, modern, and everything in between. Holy, common, and everything in between. All of society. Say all. That's why he came with a kingdom. A kingdom involves every realm of society. And I'm, I'm, this is going to take some more pa unpacking. I don't have time to unpack all this here, but I want you, you can put this in your notes and you can either unpack it on your own or just stick around at Ramp Church for a while and we unpack this over time. But we often reduce our citizenship in God's kingdom, we reduce it down to conversion. Did you hear me? 
God came to bring a new way to do life and to see all of life and we reduce that down to converting to a religion or a set of beliefs. You hearing me? Now, conversion and a set of beliefs is inside this kingdom, but it's so much more. See, when we're just converted, we adopt different beliefs. Maybe those beliefs have certain traditions or practices. It's not bad, of course. But if Christianity has kept it conversion, we're not joining God's mission. We're simply affirming new beliefs. To set conversion into the bigger mission of God, what God's up to in the world, what he's about, what he's interested in, what he's already doing, it looks like moving from conversion to citizenship. As Christians, we're no longer simply citizens of earth. We're dual citizens, able to live in God's eternal kingdom now while having earthly residence. I know what it's like to be resident in one country and a citizen of another. That's much like how we are when we become new creations in God's kingdom. The invitation for Jesus is not for you to pray a prayer so you can go to heaven someday. The invitation to Jesus is to, is to become a citizen of a different way of doing life. You hearing me? And that different way of doing life gives you rights and privileges that are, that are only available to citizens of that, of that country. Which is why during COVID, I could fly back to America and get in just fine. But if you and I went together, you'd have been stuck at the border. Because my citizenship allowed me entry into a place I didn't do anything to earn it. I was just born. I didn't choose where. I didn't choose when. I didn't choose who my parents were. But that citizenship affords me rights that are connected to, with it, and I, I bring those rights into my current resident nation. So I have a U.S. bank account. You can't get a U.S. bank account. I have U.S. investments. You can't get U.S. investments, right? I have U.S. There's not, don't, don't get too worried. There's not too much in there, okay? <laughs> it can basically pay for a ticket back home. But why is that? Because I have... I, I have citizenship in that other place. This is, the, this is the same access that we have. What does this mean for us? It means the realities of God's kingdom are available and entrusted to us now. Say now. now. Not just in heaven someday. Now. We're called to live in and reveal these realities to the world around us. This means we're not simply believing God will make things new someday. We are believing that but that his kingdom realities can be realized now. Though not fully, at least seen in glimmers and windows. It's Jesus' prayer. We pray this all the time in churches all around the world every Sunday morning. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think Jesus would pray a prayer that would be impossible to happen? He's leading us to pray that prayer, not just because it's going to happen someday, it is, but so that prayer, that reality gets so deep in us that we live from that place. Let me show it to you in the Word. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. 
Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news. Maybe your Bible says gospel. This translation says the good news about the kingdom. Notice it doesn't say salvation. I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm just reading the text, right? The gospel of the kingdom, the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Stay right here. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. You know this, this, this word good news or gospel, the original Greek word for that is, is the word euangelion. Euangelion. It's where we get the, the modern word evangelism. But Jesus didn't invent this word. This is not just a Bible word. This was, this was an ancient Roman concept that as Caesar conquered new lands... Um, there would be messengers, apostolos, sent ones, where we get the word apostle. It's a different teaching. Where we get the word apostle, they would be sent to the new territory that Caesar just won, and they would be euangelion. They would be sharing good news. And you know what the news was? It was not Caesar's going to send you to heaven. The good news was there's a new king, there's a new ruler, and those laws which have brought peace around the world are now going to bring peace in, in this territory. There's been fighting. There, there's, there's, there have been laws that have not been conducive to, a, to a, a healthy, peaceful society. And now I'm coming with you and Gelion to tell you there's a new ruler. Jesus uses this phrase because he's trying to get that same concept into his followers' minds. Do you know the gospel is so much more than, than you're a sinner, Jesus died for you, when you give your life to him, you're going to heaven. I'm so thankful for that. I am really, really, really thankful for that. Because in, in measurement to eternity, there's nothing in life that even tips the scale. Right? I mean, uh, that's why Psalm says life is a breath. It's like grass. It's a breeze. It's wind. It, it's passing away. Why does it say that? Because in comparison to eternity, there's nothing I could do or not do or be or not be or struggle with or not struggle That it doesn't even tip the scale because eternity is immeasurably more important. So your eternal place with God cannot be overstated. We, it's impossible to exaggerate. That's why it's called eternity. So you need to know about that. But can I just give you a little clue? This is what Jesus is trying to say. The good news is this. Eternity isn't someday. Eternity starts here. And unless on that day you are found in Christ, you will forever be separated from Christ. But the opportunity, the good news is, he's here. He's here. It says, it says further on in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, that the kingdom of God has been brought near near to us. He's available to us. And it's not just for then, it's for now as well. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And then, why did Jesus heal every kind of disease and illness? Yes, he was compassionate. Yes, he was caring. But he was, he was manifesting the realities of his kingdom. Does that make sense? So he, he, he didn't send a messenger to go say, hey, the king is now ruling this area. The king was here. And he was enacting his laws in this new territory. And his laws judged 
sickness as illegal. His laws viewed disease and illness as a violation of his kingdom principles. So healing was not simply a good deed or a caring gift. Healing was an expression of his kingdom ways. Are you seeing this? The first launch pad into the mission of God is expand and maybe maybe this is where you are in your faith so maybe for you this is the call this is where you start today just expand your faith maybe for you you've limited this whole faith journey to conversion then your takeaway today is is go and let your mind just be blown by the size the size of what God's up to in the world the size of what God wants to do through your life because this changes the way you view your job your family life change the way you view your faith, but it's all expansive. It's not, it's not just confined to Sunday morning. For you to believe there's a new kingdom, I'm a citizen of it, and God wants to exercise his rule and reign through my life and in my life, that changes everything. It's not just a Sunday morning reality. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means I have resources available because of my citizenship that I didn't have previous to the citizenship. It means that when, when I go to parent my kids, I have a helper called the Holy Spirit. Any parents need some help? I need some help. It, it means I have a helper. It means when I go to make career decisions, I have help. Are you with me? So expand your faith today. Expand it beyond a decision into something more. The second launch pad is this, dream. Dream. Step one in joining the mission of God is to expand your idea of what God's up to in the world. It's bigger than this, this service. It's bigger than this meeting. It's bigger than our conference in September. Once you expand your vision, you expand your understanding of what God's up to in the world, it all of a sudden creates space in your imagination to dream about what God wants to do through your life. If, if God and his activity is limited to very spiritual-looking things, you've squeezed all the room out to dream with God. You don't understand where your career fits. You don't understand where parenting fits. You don't understand where, where does this whole life thing fit? Where do sports fit? Where do aspirations? Where, where does all this fit? But as soon as you realize God's up to changing everything, He's not just changing the church. He's changing everything. He's making all things new. It's like we talked about two weeks ago. He's turning the garden into a city. Okay? He's changing everything. Then you've created space to dream with God. And let me read some verses to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verses 11 and 12. This is Paul speaking to the church he leads in Thessalonica. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, look at this, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed, stay on this slide, prompted by faith. Have you ever realized that God wants to bring to pass your every desire for goodness. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the text. Now, I'm not saying God's on a mission to fulfill all your dreams, whatever they may be. 
He's on a redemption process with us, redeeming our dreams and our visions and our desires. But what he is doing is he wants to partner with us. He wants to dream with us. This, this flies in the face of what I said earlier about that, that religious philosophy that says whatever you want is bad. And you need to squash that and then receive whatever God wants. Uh, but we talk about that in church. We do that in church. We say things like, never say, you better never say, I would never move to another country to serve God because you know God's going to do it. If you say that, he's going to make you do it. We say that. Never say never because you know God's listening. Like, like he wants to bring to pass the thing you really don't want to do. Like that's what God's into. We think sometimes the thing we really want, like God automatically doesn't want it. Like, oh, that couldn't be God. Like, I really want that job, but it couldn't be God because I want it. What? I mean, that's, that's like so messed up. Like, where did we come up with that? And this verse, this verse specifically addresses that. Actually, when you have a desire for goodness and you have deeds that are prompted by faith, it is right for you to pray and seek God that they are fulfilled. That's the kingdom of God in operation. Look what, look what Paul continues to say in Thessalonians. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified. Just in case your desire was to get more Instagram followers. Sorry. So we pray that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. Now, you can do that and still glorify God. So if you're a social media influencer, do it. Go for it, but do it so the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified. Are you hearing me? And you in him according to the grace. Recognize it's the grace of God at work in you of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard of a story of a man called um, Brian Peterson this past week. Now, Brian Peterson, um, in his 20s, was a, um, he was uh, excelling, he was an industrial designer, and he was excelling in industrial design. And he became the senior automotive designer at Kia in his 20s. So designing vehicles for them, industrial design. And then, uh, you know, he, he was, he, he um, then be, began to travel to share his designs and spread what he's learning. And um, in 2015, he moves to California, Brian Peterson, and um, he starts to, his relationship with, with God starts to develop. And he starts to get this ache on the inside for how to meet needs, how to pre meet practical needs. And they lived in an apartment block where there was a homeless man who was often out um, on the pavement in, in front of the part, apartment block, and they could hear him at night yelling or, you know, doing, doing some, some odd things out there. And so he, he said it would just caught their attention, but he, he never knew what to do. And so one day he just decides that he was going to interact with the man. So he stops on the pavement and just asks the man his name, starts to strike up a conversation, and through that relationship, God gives him an idea to start to um, help homeless people with the gifts that God had given him. So he starts to, um, he gets the idea that he wants to paint portraits of, of homeless people. But he wanted to come at it from a different angle. So he, what he started to do was he, he, he struck up relationships with them. And after time of getting to know them, he then asked if he could paint their portrait. So he painted their portrait, and then he, he got the idea, what if I sold these portraits to raise money to help these people? So his initial painting sold for $1,500, um, and now they're selling for forty dollars and $50,000. And uh, here's, here's Brian right here. This is Brian. 
So there he is. Um, so his charity is called the Faces of Santa Anna. And so he, he has, um, the charity literally continues in Santa Anna to form relationships with homeless people. And, um, and through those relationships, learn about them and then paint them in a way that dignifies and honors those stories. And then through the money that he makes, then he's able, the charity's then able to support them. But I don't know if there's a person in here, however creative you are, that if I, you and I sat down over coffee and I said, I'm trying to solve the problem of homelessness in Manchester, if a person in here would have said, let's paint them. Nobody in here would have said that. And if you did, I would have gone. <laughs> so what, I mean, but that's what Brian's doing. What happened? Well, what happened is he, he started to dream with God. He started to dream with God. Something happened in Brian that went beyond, um, I'm, I'm just going to do my job and make a lot of money. If you're the senior automotive designer at Kia, you're making plenty of money, right? And I'm just going to give to other people. Something happened in his heart that expanded his vision, not just to see, well, that has to happen through the church, or that has to happen through spiritual means, or that has to happen through holy ways. And he started going, here's a need I want to meet. Here's a gift I have. Maybe those two worlds can come together. So if expanding your vision is the first launch pad to getting on God's mission, dreaming is the next one. And that's the call to this step. It's to dream with God. You need to start dreaming with God. Did you hear me? You need to start dreaming with God. What does God want to dream with you? You hearing me? I hope the silence are wheels turning. God dreams his dreams for our world through you. He's looking for people who will dream his dreams, feel his feelings, and think his thoughts. This means that you need a dream for your slice of the world. Do you have a vision for what your slice looks like when God gets involved? Your slice of the world, what happens when God invades that space? I don't just mean his presence in a, in a mystical way. I mean his solutions. That's what I mean. His solutions come to the problems that they're having. That's where you let your mind go. And that's a perfect segue into the next launch pad, which is this. Launch pad number three is seek. Launch pad number three is seek. So we've expanded, we're dreaming, and now we're seeking. Your dreaming leads you to seek opportunities to engage the world around you. Maybe it is not the homeless man outside your apartment block, but there is a need and as you start to dream, something in you is going to start to be drawn to seek, where do I fulfill that dream? You're seeking out things. What are you seeking? You're seeking out things that don't reflect the nature and goodness of God. Are you hearing me? Not just spaces to have church services. You're awful quiet. I love church services. That's what I do. That's my part. That's my slice of the world. Conferences are my slice of the world. Prayer meetings are my slice of the world. What's your slice of the world? 
okay? So I'm not dissing church services. We're all in one, right? This, to me, is vitally important to the health of what all of us are doing in our own slices of the world. So I'm not, I, we don't have to be little one to, to, to honor another, right? So what we need to do is we need to put proper honor on your slice of the world. You're seeking out things that don't reflect the nature and goodness of God, and then you're finding ways to participate in God's work to redeem those things. Maybe it's an unjust HR policy at your business. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's your coworkers who live without a sense of purpose. Maybe it's an isolated neighbor who has no one in their life. Seek. Often I think we're like this, this prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus quotes. Look at this verse. This is kind of scary. This should challenge us, wake us up a bit in Matthew 13. Those seeing, they don't see, Jesus says. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. Why do we see the world, but we're not really seeing it? Why are we hearing, but we're not really? There's a callousness of heart. There's something down here that needs to soften. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. And so what is the call to this, to this launch pad, to seeking? It's this. This is the call right here. It's the next principle. Seek a need. What need catches your eye? You know, this is what I found about needs that catch our eyes. Generally, the needs that, that bug you, that can't get off your mind, are the ones you're called to meet. People who are administratively geared, like that's the tools that you have. You came in here and you noticed how the rows of chairs down here are, are crooked. You're like walking in the room, you're like, oh my gosh. If they only had somebody who knew how to straighten chairs. Right? Because you're administrative, that's what you do. Or you're thinking, oh, there's not enough something here. I mean, you, you go to the coffee table, and there's coffee and tea, and you're like, there's not enough urns. Or you're like, the way they designed this, there should have been this and then this. What are you doing? You're bringing solutions to problems. Why, why do those problems get on your nerves? Because you're gifted to solve them. That's why. The gifts God wants to manifest in the earth to bring kingdom solutions to problems of the earth are in you. He's not going to like supernaturally manifest an angel to come readjust the cups on the coffee table. He dreams his dreams through you and then you seek needs to partner with him in the fulfillment of, of those answers. You're tracking with me. Seek a need. That's the third launch pad. Fourth launch pad. This is where the, the rubber meets the road. Risk. Uh, it's been said many, many times, but it's worth repeating that faith can be spelled R-I-S-K. Faith can be spelled R-I-S-K. That we don't really believe something until we're, we're willing to risk to follow that belief. Risk is the indicator that I have found a superior belief. You're tracking. Risk is the indicator that I found a superior belief. When you find opportunities, God's and your dreams, your partnering, come to pass through, this is how they pass through, this language is kind of heavy, one dimensional interruption at a time. What do I mean by that? You're pulling a future reality from a heavenly dimension into a current problem in an earthly dimension. 
Are you hearing me? This is the way change happens. You are pulling realities from a future city into a current garden. To go back to my message two weeks ago. If some of this, if, if you're going, hey, I was sticking with you for the first two points, you've lost me now. It's okay, it's on YouTube, all right? You can go back and watch. But what you're looking for when you risk is you are looking for one opportunity. One opportunity. Jesus qualifies and honors one opportunity. Look at this in Matthew. I love this. Matthew chapter 10. Whoever gives, say this together, one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he'll by no means lose his reward. <laughs> one. Sometimes I think we don't risk actually bringing ourselves or bringing our solutions or bringing, bringing answers to problems because we don't know how to solve this systemic problem. Well, don't try to solve the systemic problem. Fulfill one need. Bring solutions to one problem. And when you bring solutions to one problem, you get a reward. What's the reward Jesus is talking about? He's going to give you 10, 10 pounds at the end of that? Here you go, here's 10 pounds. Now he's talking about eternal rewards. <laughs> One cup of water given in Jesus' name earns a reward in eternity. I don't, I don't think like the, the, the cost and, and the benefit are, are properly balanced there, do you? What's Jesus trying to do? He's trying to reprogram us to see the world and needs in the world from a kingdom perspective. That's what he's doing. I love this. This is, this is what Brian Peterson, the guy I just talked about from Kia, the painter, look what he says. When my motives change from trying to help the homeless to simply loving the homeless, everything shifted. Everything shifted. For him, what happened was he started to try to love them, and all of a sudden he realized, I actually have something to risk. I have something to give. I have something that can meet this need. That's what spurred him to action. I love what Andy Stanley says, this principle right here. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And you know, if everybody did for one what they wish they could do for everyone, our communities would start to be impacted. But right now, we're just like so, whoa, the systemic change. And this, this, this principle is important when you're looking at things that need to change systemically. I'm not saying don't believe for that. I'm saying don't let that stop you from doing the one. This principle is important. This next slide. Your help matters to the person you're serving. It doesn't taste, take systemic change for them to be loved well. Are you hearing me? Don't wait for Boris Johnson to change something in the government before, you're, before you believe change can come to your community. The one who you are loving well, they feel the change. They feel the impact of your work on their behalf. And I promise they won't be looking to Whitehall for their answers much longer if you're meeting their needs. Are you hearing me? What is the fourth launch pad? Risk. Faith looks like risk. I'm giving it a go. This is the call. This is what I want you to do today. Maybe this is your launch pad. You need to risk for one. Don't risk for ten. Find one. Who's your one? And I challenge you, just do it for you and them. You don't have to, take, you don't have to put it on your, your TikTok. If you're looking for the most TikTokable need to meet, 
You're going to be waiting a long time. So we don't need, you don't need to wait for systemic change or TikTokable change. Just see a need. Expand your vision. Dream with God about what that looks like. Then seek the need and then risk it. That's the fourth launch pad. The fifth launch pad is this. Reflection. Now I'm moving from just a one-off or maybe a series of one-offs. And now I'm moving your impact from a one-off into a lifestyle. Okay? So that's why, that's why there's six launch pads here. Because you go, man, we are way deep. I don't even know if I'm at the first launch pad. It's okay. Stick around. Stick around at Ramp Church. Um, so maybe you're not. But, but this is for everybody today. And I don't want you to leave overwhelmed. I do want you to leave with this feeling there's more. Man, I thought this Jesus thing was tiny. I thought this Jesus thing was small. No, huge. It is a lifelong pursuit. If you're bored in God, it's not because God is boring. It's because we're not seeing what he's up to. Does that make sense? When you see what he's up to, all of a sudden your imagination is full with all sorts of things. So, the, so how do we then turn this into a lifestyle? Well, you've got to do Launchpad 5, and that's reflect. Reflection leads to understanding. After you've, after you've expanded and then dreamed and then sought and then risked, you need to look back and reflect on how's it working? What's God doing? What's he not doing? Do you know one of, one of the most challenging days of my week? Without a doubt, every week. Monday. I call it the Mondays. And it's not, it's not for what many, what many people, because the weekend's over. and No, Sunday's a work day for me, right? So it's because I'm reflecting on Sunday. And most Mondays, I am discouraged about more than I'm encouraged about. Why? Because I'm thinking about what's working and what's not working. I'm going, oh, that's not quite, you know, like, like a chef who's trying to make a recipe. I'm like, ah, that part of our culture is not quite there how do we teach or, you know, or I'm concerned about you know people in our congregation or you know I'm thinking through conversation you know those sorts of things that's the Mondays for me I'm reflecting and I'm seeking understanding when you reflect on who God is and what he's doing you gain insight which opens up your insight and understanding and leads to more engagement and more risk you don't believe me I'll prove it to you 2 Timothy, Paul's, Paul's mentoring one of his pastors, his young pastors called Timothy. This is what he says. Reflect. See, he knew about the launch pad. Reflect. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. <laughs> Reflection and insight are connected. Your translation may say understanding. Reflect or consider or think about, different translations say, what I've, what I've told you or what I'm saying to you. And when you do that, the Lord's going to join in your reflection activity and he's going to give you understanding and, and insight. So when you, when you risk something for God and it doesn't work out, don't let your conclusion being, well, God's not interested in that. I prayed for the sick person, they didn't get healed. Apparently God is not into healing. Well, what about the thousands of people around the world who do get healed from prayer? So your one time of praying for somebody and them not getting healing defies all of that. No, that's, that is a, that's a reductionist conclusion. It's oversimplification. You need to sit in that for a while, 
reflect and gain understanding with the Lord's help. Are you hearing me? So what, what's, what's the call? Here's the call. Reflect to learn. God doesn't just want to do things through, through your life like a, a supernatural event. He does want to do that. He wants those things to change you so that you then live life differently. We're covering a lot of ground here, aren't we? The fifth launch pad is reflect, and the call is reflect to learn. The sixth launch, launch pad, you guys are like, praise God. Launch, I actually have a bonus, seven. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Launch pad, six. Repeat. Repeat. Go back to the beginning and expand. Dream, seek, risk, reflect, and then repeat. And I'm going to tell you why. This is, for, this is for those of you, maybe maybe you're even in church leadership. Maybe you're watching or maybe you're in the room and you're, you're going, mm, you know, is there more? I, I feel like I've, I've, I feel like I've, whoa, that was just make sure you're awake there, guys. I feel like I've, if, if I need to change mics, just let me know, Clay. Um, I feel like there's more. I feel like I've plateaued in the way God's using me. A stream, listen to this. I know we've, we've, we've covered a lot today, and you are incredible for engaging. But I want to get this at least so you can go back and watch it on YouTube. A stream or series of dimensional interruptions, pulling future answers into today. When you get, when that's not just a one-off, one but you, you create a series of those, okay, more and more and more, it leads to greater authority. You begin your spiritual journey with inherited authority. That means the same authority, that means authority that Jesus gave you because you're born again. But the more you operate in the authority you have, the more you gain. You don't lose your inherited authority, you grow it. You listening? You move from solely authority that's given to you to authority that's gained. Inherited authority to what's called inherent authority. Inherent is what is that which exists in something as permanent or essential to it. Your authority becomes your own to be used in submission to God. That's for another message at another time. But what's the call for that? The next slide. Hey, I forgot about a verse. Thank you, slides. This is awesome. So we read earlier where Jesus went and preach the gospel. Now look, he, he switches this up a bit. Now he's telling his disciples to go. This is you and me. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. He's inviting them into this journey of authority, of gaining authority personally through the inherited, my inherited relationship with God. Inheritance comes through relationship. And then when I start to exercise the authority that I have, that, that authority becomes my own. And this is, this is the cycle. It, it starts this cycle right here. I call it the cycle of missional engagement. Seek, risk, reflect, repeat. Seek, risk, and you can get on on any stage, any part of this. Any part of the circle you want to get on, you get on. Okay? Just start it. Just start the cycle going. But it's a lifestyle thing. And so here's the call. Here's the call. Repeat 
to grow. You want growth in God? Maybe you're looking, I'm, I'm, I'm plateaued. I'm, I haven't grown in God. I haven't had a fresh revelation from God in 30 years. Well, you need to get on the seek, risk, and, and reflect cycle. You need to use what you have. That's the key. Are you hearing me? Band, you go ahead and come up. There's a question that often comes, I think, in our journey with God at this stage, talking about these launch pads. And it's this question. This is an appropriate question. I'll just give you permission to ask this question because this sounds really unchurchy or unholy to ask. It's this question. Well, what's in it for me? Have you ever wondered that about faith? Like this, well, what's in it for me? I mean, this sounds like a lot of missional, like God's up to something, you know. It's like really, well, what's in it for me? Do you, do you know the disciples asked Jesus that? Like, what's in it for me? And he, he, never, he didn't rebuke them for asking the question, which shocks me because I would have. Like, what, your motive isn't pure? He didn't say that. He adjusted their expectations. And he also brought the sovereignty of God in and even recognizing only my father knows. It's powerful. That's a powerful truth for you to unpack. But he didn't rebuke the question. And so I just want to give you, there's a lot in it for you, but can I just give you two things that's in it for you? The missional life. To live fulfilling the Great Commission. You know the first thing that's in it for you is, is, is actual life, true life? Because any other way to live prioritizes me. Any other way. And this is what Jesus says about lives that prioritize me and my needs and my wants. Whoever would save his life, that's, that's me prioritizing me. He's going to lose it. You realize this is a fundamental law of humanity. Whoever would seek to save his life, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why is this, why is this true? Because the New Testament says it like this. You are hidden in Christ. And the only way to get in Christ is to lose your life and receive His. And when you lose your life and receive His, you find yourself in Him. Any other way to live ends up with losing your life anyway and finding none. But can I tell you the greatest reason of what's in it for you? It's not just true life. It's knowing God. Knowing God himself. This is what Paul says in Philippians. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Paul's everything was a lot. <laughs> Way more than my everything. Education, his pedigree, his resources, career path. He had a lot. But he says, all of that I count as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I love this is one of my favorite quotes. Leslie Newbegin says, I think the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus 
where he is. What do you get when you live for the Great Commission? You find true life in giving. But more than that, you find God. He's at the other end of your yes. Everybody stand on your feet. As we close, go ahead and stand on your feet.